Hello and welcome to Switch It, where we are gearing up for a few hard days nights as England take on New Zealand in their two test series. After England's second warm-up match in Wangarai, we have a pretty clear idea of how Chris Silwood and Joe Root are planning to go about things. But adding to the Kiwis' World Cup heartache in a third format will be easier said than done. We've had some heated selection meetings here too, with Mark Butcher opting out of this pod in order to appear on the lucrative franchise circuit. Hope you're enjoying the T10 Butch. In his place, we've turned to young blood. With ESPN Crick Info, assistant editor Matt Roller caught up on the strength of his limited overs performances. Andrew Miller is also here to provide an experienced head and knowledge of the conditions. First, though, let's hear from our star performer. George DeBell has been handed the onerous task of travelling around picturesque New Zealand, sampling the laid-back lifestyle and dealing with the famously friendly cricketers. It's a tough gig, though we gather the non-stop idyllic views have already made you physically sick, George. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it is an incredibly beautiful country, but it's very winding. It's also uh, made me very sunburned because it's very cold, uh, but there's no ozone layer here. And um, so I've managed to get extremely cold and extremely sunburned at the same time, which is a bit weird. But hey, it, there's nowhere more beautiful than New Zealand. And um, it's extremely friendly as well. Uh, so it's a really lovely tour. Well, you take care of yourself out there. Um <laughs> England England drew with New Zealand A in their, their three-day warm-up match over the weekend, but they were, were given a pretty good workout in the end. Yeah, they were. I mean, that, that was a pretty strong uh, New Zealand A side. There was a fast bowler I'd never heard of, actually, before, called Jameson, who looked a real handful. Uh, and, um, you know, he was, he was hard work for the openers with the new ball. And then, you know, it was a pretty flat wicket. So England had to try all sorts of different things. Uh, you know, they struggled with the cookable ball, of course. We know that. Uh, and actually, they, they would probably be pretty satisfied that they uh, they were very close to winning and then were frustrated by uh, a very good night cricket partnership. But, I mean, you know, it's not really about winning, is it, that, those games? They're about developing plans and giving practice ahead of the Test Series. And I think they will probably be quite pleased. It looks like, you know, we know what the team is, which is a good sign. And it looks as if um, we know what their plans will be. So, yeah, I I think they'll be relatively satisfied, despite the fact that they've only really had, well, three days of first-class cricket going into the Test. Um, On the subject of those plans, it looks like a big selection decision has been made with Sam Curran preferred to Chris Wokes um, do you think that's a that's a big call the first one of the of the Silverwood Root era um, I don't know if it's the first one um, but uh, it, it, it's yeah it's interesting isn't it I suppose it's pretty much on the basis of variation uh, look on just on a real basic level they played the first warm up game together and neither of them got the ball to swing much but uh, current at one wicket simply, I think you went round the wicket, uh, and just, you know, a different angle made a bit of a difference. Uh, so there were times in the first-class warm-up game where he looked a, a little bit innocuous, to be honest, but he kind of found a way to take wickets. Uh, and what you see with Sam Curran is he compensates for his lack of pace because he's always thinking, he's always trying things. Uh, you know, I can see why they've gone with him. And of course, uh, you know, Chris Wokes' record 
as uh, an over, as a bowler overseas is, is, is extremely modest. So it's not as if he hasn't had um, a decent amount of opportunities. I'm not sure the story's over. I, I, I wouldn't be uh, amazed if um, Wokes came into the team for the second test. Uh, you know, we saw Sam Curran really struggle in Barbados, didn't we? I, I, I think he's improved a bit. But I do think um, that, that place is probably still up to grabs. And obviously Jimmy Anderson will probably be back to South Africa and will probably come straight back into the side. Um, and uh, England have had uh, on this tour um, the ability to call on, on Darren Goff. Um, how do you think that will help them go with the Kookaburra ball? Well, uh, I think he has clearly been a breath of fresh air. Um, I think he's got the ability to make people listen to him because of his track record. He's actually pretty, uh, a pretty eloquent guy as well. He's obviously got great experience. Um, so he demands the respect of players and I think there's something to be said for these short term gigs uh, where you know you get different voices uh, so the voices don't go go stale and um, you probably can pick up quite a lot of good ideas without a lot of repetition in two or three weeks so I think there's a lot there uh, to, 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 to praise them for actually I think that was a really good idea I mean I think Darren used to pitch fuller than most of the England bowlers do, uh, and he used to be happy to be, well, he was always ready to sacrifice being driven in the hope of getting wickets. Uh, now, will England play like that? I'm not sure they do anymore, you know? You know, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad have always hated being driven and always were a bit reluctant to pitch the ball that much fuller. I think you do really have to pitch full with the Kookaburra. Uh, and I know that that's what he said to some of them. But I don't know that he worked technically with um, any of the guys who were in the side, really. He seemed to mainly be with uh, Chris Wokes and Saqib. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see that. We're certainly not going to see them in the first test. But uh, I, I'd be, I would be surprised if we didn't see Darren Goff come back and have uh, further consultancy roles in the future. And I do think he's got quite a lot to offer. So I, I thought that was a, a welcome change for the England management. And um, you, you know, we'll see what difference it makes. I, I, I don't suspect that um, he had a lot of input towards uh, Joffre, for example. Look, I don't think Joffre's loving the, the Kookaburra. Um, but the fact is, he'll play most of his overseas cricket with that ball. And, uh, you know, he's got to find a way to be productive with it, hasn't he? If England's going to win the Ashes, they almost certainly need Joffre Archer to be taking quite a lot of wickets. Uh, and, uh, you know, he is coming to terms with that role at the moment. And all he probably got from Darren Goff with there was a lot of positivity and a sense of, you know, you've just got to find a way. That was the mantra that kept being repeated, find a way. Um, talking of uh, welcome changes, you've, you've written about the seeming uh, reappraisal of, of Joe Root's philosophy for this test side, uh, acknowledging the need for patience and grinding out big scores. Is, is this overdue? I sort of. I mean, I don't think so that they were particularly impatient in Australia, to be fair. I thought that, you know, they, the, the seamers in particular bowled pretty well. Look, there are some selection dif- uh, differences, aren't there? So with Leach, for example, you have a holding spinner rather than Moeen, who is a more attacking spinner, I suppose. 
Uh, equally, you have Sibley at the top of the order, Sibley and Byrne, you know, are pr- pretty traditional, patient, test match opening batsmen, aren't they? And, and that is quite different from, you know, some of the stuff we've seen before with Jason Roy being the classic example. So I don't know that it's uh, a huge departure from Root as much as it was a bit of a change of management and selection. Um, and we'll see how they play. I still think, I, I, I think Root will naturally always be quite positive. Uh, and, uh, and that's a good thing generally, isn't it? But it does seem that we're going to have some quite attritional uh, cricket in terms of the pitches and the ball on offer. And the, the really big difference with Joe Root seems to be that he is more prepared to be a bit patient with the bat. Uh, I think one of his best test innings uh, was the double hundred against Pakistan in Manchester. And in that innings, he just, he played the percentages so much more. I just remember him rolling his pull shot, so he was quite happy to get one rather than trying to hit boundaries. You know, he always had his eye on getting a very big hundred rather than just batting, being very positive and, you know, how many times we've seen him out for 70-odd. So uh, I think he is trying to be hungrier and more ruthless. But I think it pretty much just applies to him. And the rest of it is just a question of selection and people should play their natural games. Sibley is an extremely patient player. I mean, by modern standards, he he, he will be a very, very slow scorer. Uh, And I hope that people... Uh, don't try and change it. I hope that, you know, uh, people realise that that's exactly what England have been after and that uh, he has plenty of time. We hardly get any draw on test matches anymore, do we? Uh, particularly if it doesn't rain and it's not going to rain here. Uh, so uh, I, I think he's got all the time in the world to play however he likes. If he reaches lunch on day one, 20 not out, then good on him. He's done his job as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, speaking of Dom Sibley, uh, test debut in the offing, what have you made of him in the, in the warm-up games uh, and and when you've seen him previously? Yeah, well, I've seen a lot of him. Um, uh, he, he, he's, I think he's a, a really good pick. I'm very glad they've picked him. Uh, he's very good outside of stump, very patient, uh, not particularly pretty. Uh, always have a bit of a punch on the, the, the leg side. Um, uh, he, he is a classic example of being one of those batsmen whose strength to the shot he doesn't play uh, he does have another gear which he can go up he, the only thing that worried me just a little bit and it hasn't really while watching him uh, play counter cricket was that he was hit by a bouncer uh, by this big tall fast by Jameson who's built a bit like Trembler I suppose you know a big big strong lad and he, and he did get the ball to, to, to rear impressively he was a really good bowler um, and he hit Sidney on the grill uh, I don't think he was particularly hurt or anything but uh, a couple of minutes later he played quite uh, an out of character loose shot chasing one outside off stump and it did make me wonder and I think you can guarantee that word when I've got back to the New Zealand bowlers about what happened you know the, the test bowlers and I, I don't know as a, as a young opening batsman, you do not want the reputation of having some sort of weakness against a short ball. Now, I'm not saying he, he has. I've definitely not thought that before when I've watched him at County level. But the fact is, he was hit by a bouncer and he was out almost immediately afterwards. 
And if you're a New Zealand bowler or a New Zealand uh, scout watching him for the first time, that was the takeaway. So I fear he will have quite a lot of short stuff coming his way, just like Roy Burns had against Australia, and I thought coped pretty well. I, I think Sibley is a good choice. Uh, and I, I think he's good enough to make it. And to be fair, he made 100 in the first warm-up game, and it was, oh, it was terrific. I mean, the, the standard of bowling wasn't anywhere near as good as the second game. But there was something so calm about the way he did it. He just, he's, he's admirably unhurried, and I think that's what we want. We don't want, we don't want him to start playing uh, a different game. We want him to play the game that he played at um, county level, and that is an old-fashioned You know, Root and Stokes and Butler and uh, Pope, who who could be really, really attractive against a slightly softer ball, because I think batting will become a lot easier after the first 20 overs. Tavare-esque, what billing. Um, thanks very much, George. Great to hear from you. Um, you uh, will let you get back and, and remember to stock up on sunscreen. Yeah, it's a really bizarre country because it really can be very cold. And then you look in the mirror a little while later wondering why you're feeling so hot. And you realise that you're, you're, you're properly burnt. As I say, there's no ozone layer here. It's terribly beautiful, but it's, um, yeah, <laughs> there are things in the, in the sea and, uh, and the roads that make you very sick, I can tell you that. But uh, it's lovely. It's really, really nice to be here. <laughs> Not always so friendly. Cheers for your time, George. No worries. So that's the latest on the ground. Looking on from afar, Miller, England do at least seem to have a solid enough blueprint for how they want the uh, test team to develop. Well, they do. I mean, they, they're going in with this this new funky notion of building with a solid top three and then uh, having four seam four seamers and uh, a spinner and all the rest of it. It's 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 radical, but it might just work. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows? I mean, it, 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 you know, we 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 quibble about England's test fortunes, and frankly, with with good reason because they they haven't been up to scratch for a few years now, but. There's no doubting that Chris Silverwood has, has set out a, a vision for how he wants his team to play as they target the, the return series in Australia in two years' time as the sort of next big staging post for for their development. And this is a really important first gig. I mean, obviously, they had a lot of guys resting during the T10 so they could sample a few young guns, but they really bring out all the all the best hits now. They, you know, they've got kind of new look top order maybe, but, you know, you've still got Stokes and Butler in the middle order and, and Joe Roots aiming to prove himself... Uh, Back at number four, there's there's a lot to a lot to like about how they how they've got their their balance for this one. I think um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's no World Test Championship points, of course, Matt, but uh, uh, still an important gig nonetheless. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's quite an interesting first step on that um, road towards those away ashes, as Miller mentions. Um, it's that series seems to be the one that um, Silverwood, Giles, Root, etc., seem to be making a real point of trying to win, much more so than the championship itself. Um, so it's quite interesting to see what looks like quite a clear um, sort of uh, foundation in terms of a, an eleven for that tour, um, especially building with no uh, Jimmy Anderson here. Um, so you think out of the uh, the eleven that's likely to play in that first test, you could probably quite easily see seven or eight of them um, in the first test at the Gabba in a couple of years' time. Um, we've talked many times about England's not-so-top three uh, over the last year, uh, from from Keaton Jennings and Moeen Ali uh, in Sri Lanka to uh, Roy Root and even Jack Leach. Does... Um, 
Burnsy, Sibo and Denners have a ring of, uh, well, semi-permanence about it, let's say. I mean, there's just 20 caps between them. Yeah, as we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, that, um, that it's the, the, the least capped top three since Antigua in 1990. Um, in, in an away test. In an away test. right, So, yeah, Matt was digging out the stats, so don't, don't, he, can, he, can, he, can, he can deliver the, the punchline on that one. But, uh, no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it, I still have doubts about Denley. Uh, I think it's, I think everyone has doubts about Denley even Denley to, to a degree you wonder he's had a had a tough ride um, sort of being this sort of auxiliary sort of uh, scapegoat I suppose in the, in the top three a, a guy who you'd rather got out than anyone more valuable further down the order I guess so you know he he came out of the ashes with credit ultimately uh, he played a very important role in the in the Headingley um, Headingley win I mean uh, overlooked ultimately in the in, in the final analysis thanks to Ben Stokes heroics but had he not held the fort early on that would never have happened and then pushed up the t- up top he, he, he delivered at the Oval as well so he's he's done done as much as you can hope for but I still don't think you know is he really a permanent number three I don't think so I mean what's he 33 now as well so there's there's doubts about how much longer he goes on uh, but in the in the short term, if England are really serious about knuckling down and just batting time and and making sure they build a platform, then trusting a guy whose whose primary function is to stay in um, is no bad thing. And you know, and, and certainly when it comes to um, uh, the top top two with Sibley and Roy United, the Whitgift boys United at the top of the order, there time will tell. But uh, certainly both of them come out of um, consecutive championship seasons with hugely beneficial stats both of them uh, batted far longer than anyone else and scored far more runs than anyone else by a, by a country mile in consecutive seasons and as we've seen with Roy already uh, sorry with, um, with um, Burns already that has translated into test form and uh, with any luck the same will be said of Sibley um, come on, Matt. Uh, I'm sure you remember it well. Tell us about the uh, the top three in Antigua 1990. Yeah, I can't say I remember the game itself uh, <laughs> so much. I think we had, did we say it was uh, Larkin, Stewart and uh, Rob Bailey at number three were the... Uh, Indeed. The uh, the glorious trio. Um, but yeah, it's um it's quite an interesting um, change, isn't it? It's a real shift to, to what we've seen even vaguely recently, um, seeing sort of three supposedly... Um, all players who have, who have made their runs at the top of the order rather than having someone chunted up there for, for makeshift purposes um, and um, interesting as well to see Joe Root's um, verdict on his own batting position and moving back down to number four um, you know I was digging out earlier his his comments from uh, the eve of the Ashes series saying you know I really want to lead from the front at number three and this could be where this could be the, the right spot for me this could be the right spot for uh, where the team is at the moment Um you know, maybe this is what I need to do. I need to take responsibility, and then the uh, the first sort of whiff of danger, and he, he's um, back down at number four. But <laughs> to be honest, I think you know we've we've all spoken about it enough um, over the past couple of years, and I think the verdict is probably that he's uh, he's in the right spot now at four if uh, England can find some kind of uh, combo at the top of the order. Uh, and certainly on that note, in terms of that combo at the top of the order, I mean, you know, we've been through the 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 the. the the slightly funkier selections up top with Jason Roy clearly proving that, you know, a guy who hasn't ever batted two sessions in first class cricket is not going to be a guy you're going to rely on to bat any length of time in test cricket. But, you know, Sibley is a guy who, you know, as we all know, age 17, he scored a double hundred against Yorkshire. And, uh, and I suppose that perhaps 
almost more important than the runs he scored is the the difficulties he's endured as well. Because I think uh, one thing I, I think England have found with blooding young batsmen in recent, well, not not even recent, in probably since the start of the start of the uh, the um, central contract era, to be honest, is that they've generally gone for guys who've had really good success. And then they've taken that success and had stability within the side because central contracts allows them continuity. And then they fail and suddenly have their first failures in a very public realm. Everybody sees them crumble and they haven't got anything, any hinterlands to fall back on. The one thing I think about Sibley is you look at the tr- struggles he had trying to break back into the Surrey team and then had to move a bit mm-hmm. acrimoniously to, to Warwickshire to get a gig and then proving that that was the right thing to do by scoring an absolute mountain of runs. He's he's had a quite a quite a lot of ups and downs already in, in a very short career, which I think will stand him in very good stead. I mean, I think, digressing a touch, but, but I suppose it's appropriate given them going back to New Zealand. I think back to... Andrew Strauss, another guy who came in to the England team, had m- massive success. Remember, he came in when uh, uh, Michael Vaughan tweaked his knee at Lords, and he, he scored a central and debut, and didn't look back. His first massive failure came on that New Zealand tour. He had he he was he was he, I think he'd been out of the side briefly in Sri Lanka, came back, failed, and then had to had to really scramble yeah, to get that saving career hundred. saving hundred at, at, at Napier, which. Uh, you know, having to do all of that in in the public gaze, I suppose on the one hand it proves you've got the metal, but on the other hand it's quite nice to have have these struggles slightly away from the limelight, learn your game a little bit more, and then know that you've 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 been through difficult times already. You can go through them again. The life of opening batsmen is is struggle, I guess, uh, wherever uh, they play their trade uh, around the world. But um, Matt Roy Burns averages. 29.25 in test cricket yeah he he feels like an established force well yeah i suppose he's he's the most capped player in that top 3 um all of a sudden i don't th- i think this is the first time that burns has gone into a series without particularly having anything to prove um and it'll be interesting to see whether um that proves a, a positive or a, a negative because I think he he definitely in the ashes seemed to thrive under the the pressure that he came into that Edgebaston test under. Um, if you think back to the sort of very public criticism of his his technique and um, his lack of runs really in Test cricket um, immediately after the uh, the Ireland game at Lords, um, he he really seemed to be quite bullish in the in the press after um, his ton at Edgebaston. Um, so yeah, I think the, the pressure is off him to an extent. I think even if he has a really, really lean uh, six tests, he'll still go to Sri Lanka and he'll still probably start next summer as England's incumbent. So um, I suppose he's been in this position at Surrey where he's not necessarily felt too much pressure to school runs, having maybe thought um, he wasn't going to get in the England team anytime soon um, for, for a while when he was in the sort of third of 5,000 run seasons. He probably thought, well, you know, clearly they don't rate me. Um, but yeah, I, I think he um, he's very quickly become uh, an established presence in that team and I think will continue to be so. I think it's um, it, it was noticeable during the Ashes last this summer just gone um, that he was already being talked about as a potential replacement if uh, England decided to go with, for a different captain instead of Joe Root and he's still, what, 12 tests into his career? Um, he's obviously a he, uh, successful captain with Surrey, led Surrey to the championship um, the year before the one just passed. Um, and there's a there's a strong Surrey flavour to this uh, new look uh, ish England Miller. Well, indeed. Uh, Dominic Sibley isn't a Surrey player anymore, but you mentioned uh, where he came through, and, and George has written a piece about um, him opening alongside uh, Rory Burns. 
earlier in his career. Uh, looks like Ollie Pope will be back uh, in the middle order, and Sam Curran uh, has been given the nod. Yeah, indeed. I mean, let's talk about Pope first and foremost, because uh, I mean, I think we mentioned it last week uh, that he's a guy who who was thrown in the midst of the funk basically the the the, the uh, ed smith's um crazy new methods which you know butch and i will disagree about the <laughs> about that so the cows come home I, I i saw method in the madness and i still do but at the same time asking a 20 year old to bat at uh, number four in the, and come in in the top in the first 20 overs for the first time in his career when he's never batted hard than number six before uh, was inviting a little bit of um issue but you know he's he's another guy who you know last season he was he was he was flying high then suffered a horrible injury and had to fight back and has you know he's been through a few ups and downs in, in the last 18 months since since his his blooding for england uh and again you know his his technique he looks like a guy when he decides how he wants to bat at test at test level he will be very effective it's just at the moment He's neither one thing nor the other, or certainly wasn't last time we saw him on on the on the highest stage. He was perfectly capable of playing technically pure innings, but then occasionally would outcome the slightly more funky one day flourish, and he'd probably edge it. Um, let's let's see what he what he what he can do second time around. But uh, again, New Zealand's a good place to learn. It, it, you know, the pressure's off a little bit, but um, it's not uh, it's not going to be completely off because they're a very good team. England haven't won there since two thousand eight, and it's. Um, yeah, it's an ideal place to get up to speed at test level without perhaps the entire world watching and judging. Sort of on the same note as um, what we were saying about Sibley as well, Pope um, mentioned this year that he was uh, happy about the fact, in a way, that he got that injury because it allowed him a bit of breathing space and a bit of time out of the firing line in the uh, sort of humdrum of championship cricket so that he could take a step back then look at some uh, some video of how he was batting and realize all the flaws in his game um, and go away and work on them which you don't really get the opportunity to do for the most part when you're playing five days out of seven um, and I think he said um, before the hun- the double hundred he scored on his championship comeback against Hampshire he's moved across a little bit so I think he's now batting on middle and off um, which you know it'll be interesting to see how that does it obviously worked for him in the championship but a um, bit of a different kettle of fish and uh, New Zealand but it's again it's a, a useful thing to see someone who's not just you know starred in the academy in the seconds and gone into the first team and maybe he was a bit raw um, when he first came into that England team uh, it's funny thinking back with the funk I think he was saying as well he um he was actually dropped for Moeen um, <laughs> back in back in that summer, which time, yeah, it? which is just a, a bizarre <laughs> thing when you think about it. And I suppose, in a way, he's benefited from the lack of Moeen in the middle order this time round. But um, yeah, it seems very odd that your sort of first choice off spinner is uh, competing for a spot with the the young batsman in the middle order. But so be it. Uh, it's back to to vanilla for England now. On 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 the subject of batsmen who are able to go tantric and, and grind all day long um <laughs> i'll leave that pause there <laughs> matt you recently had an interesting chat with uh, the division two dom sibley hassan azad yeah yeah he um he sort of almost came from nowhere this summer um uh, or so it seemed he's a 25 year old and um in his first season on the on the county circuit came uh Came top of the division, division two run scoring lists and, uh, only Sibley faced more balls than him or scored more runs than him in the championship, um, across the summer. And yeah, he's had a, um, a, a, a funny old time of it, really. He, um, he sort of came over as a real, 
uh, a child prodigy he'd been played Pakistan under 15s and uh, a lot of cricket for Karachi uh, moved over as a 15 year old then had emailed ahead to the Knotts Academy to say you know I'm coming you better keep an eye out for me got released a few years in because he just wasn't scoring enough runs uh, thought he was completely lost to the game basically went to Loughborough scored a few runs for the MCCU but you know never particularly thought he was going to make it as a pro and he said if you'd asked me 18 months ago what I'd be doing uh, this winter it would be I, I, you know I'd be starting on my graduate scheme and an industrial plant in Aberdeen and <laughs> instead he's going to be yeah on the uh, <laughs> on the grassy banks at Mount Monganui while he's uh, playing club cricket um, and is yeah has his second second year of his deal at Leicestershire next year and and he is a uh, you know he's a potential England opener of the future yeah who knows it's um it's i i the, the worry is always um that we get ahead of ourselves when we're talking about these people you think of um other names like you know nick gubbins who scored whatever it was 15 1600 championship runs three summers ago and has barely hit that many in total in the three years since um but yeah it's um he definitely speaking to him you hit it's a very different um Mantra hearing him saying, you know, I, I don't get bogged down in trying to be too perfect and trying to play the perfect shot. If I get one and get off strike, that's a win for me, all that sort of thing. It's very old school um, and quite refreshing to hear from a, a young player on the county circuit when you're used to hearing about, you know, winter trips to play franchise leagues and everything when instead he's very much honing his game. And, you know, it's, it's worth keeping an eye on him at least. Um, if he has another good summer, who's to say he won't get poached by a bigger club and, uh, be in the the Lions reckoning fairly soon. But on on that note, I mean, I was talking to Alistair Cook last last week, and he made a very pertinent point about the new approach for England is that if there is a an edict from on high, which obviously in the Bayless era the edict was go faster, and it was never <laughs> an edict of of chill out a bit. But if there is a clear clear message sent out by this team and particularly this top three in the coming uh, well weeks initially, and then months leading into South Africa, that's you know bat time bat for book in for the entire day and the rewards will come at the end of it if that message is sent down that this is still a way to get into the England reckoning then it does bring guys like this and Hassi Bamid even let's, let's not forget him yeah. moving to mm. Knotts and you know a new beginning for him a new beginning for Knotts who let's, let's face it needed after last summer um, there, are, there is another way to skin the cat and uh, it's an old fashioned way that has gone out, of, gone out of fashion in the last four year cycle for all the reasons we've been over with England's white ball obsession and, and justifiable with winning the World Cup bloody blah but different it's a different era now and there's, a, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of young guys on the circuit who hopefully will be able to watch England grind it out this winter it's going to be it's going to be um, immensely immersive viewing at 9pm uh, 9, 9 to 5am <laughs> staying awake for, for 50 runs a session but you know, it'll be <laughs> worth it if England win back the Ashes in two years time Well there are one or two players in the England side who, who can still uh, give it a lick um, but talking about returning to the old way of doing things, this series will see Joss Butler retake uh, the gloves. He admitted to being pretty burned out by the end of the English summer, the World Cup triumph and all that, but comes back refreshed here and made a rare first-class 100 against New Zealand A, Matt, in the uh, second warm-up game. Yeah, he. Um, it, it's a real vote of confidence, isn't it, to give him the gloves? I, don't, I think you know it would be very, very easy for the selectives uh, to have gone with Bairstow as their keeper batsman as a number seven. Um, and said, you know, to Joss, um, you know, have the winter off, play some T20, get fresh for next summer. You've got to, you know, he's he's going to be one of the keys if England win the T uh, Twenty World Cup, either of the next two, um, which are, you know, back, pretty much back to back. 
Uh, and instead, they've, they've very much, um, you know, gone for him. I think him and Bairstow's average was pretty much the same over the course of the Ashes summer. I think Butler only made 150. Um, and yet, they've, they've clearly seen something, they've seen enough in him over the past couple of years that they think it's, it's worth going with. Um, his glove work will be an interesting one. And, you know, undoubtedly, the first time he's a little bit untidy or drops a catch, people will, um, hone in on it because I think he's kept he's been the designated keeper in four first class games in the past four years which is you know no particular way to prepare for a test series but um, equally who's to say he, he seemed to have kept pretty well in the uh, in the warm up game against New Zealand Day took a couple of sharp catches and uh, yeah who's to say he won't, won't have the, the capability to spend some long days in the field um, and it's a, a bit of a departure from this time last year Miller when uh, England had Butler, Bairstow, and Ben Folkes in their <laughs> 11 in Sri Lanka. Well, indeed. Although you have got Ollie Pope here who could. That's also true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I won't digress into Ben Folkes for too long, except to say I was surprised, given that they made the decision to drop Bairstow, that they didn't then bring him in as a, as, a, as an option to 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 carry to take the gloves. But you know, two two points, I guess, on on that is that firstly, they're just going to be. I mean, I, I I'm fully supportive of of Butler being given a chance to be that. Um, of all the players England have got, everyone bangs on about the Gilchrist comparison. The Gil- everyone looks for that Gilchrist batsman's keeper at number seven. Of all the players that England have ever have ever produced, Josh Butler is about as close to the Gilchrist prototype as you could hope for, and he could be a, the most Gilchristian English Test wicketkeeper of all time. But at the same time, you think back to the last time he was England wicketkeeper was well, it was in the UAE in 2015. I mean, he was completely burnt out at the end of that. Uh, you know, he's got a famous motto at the top of his bat handle, as we all know. It <laughs> works perfectly well in white ball cricket, but uh, in red ball cricket, he was literally just uh, bleep it because he, he just couldn't be bothered with it anymore. It was, it was it was exhausting him. Different kind of different um, kind of different, different kind of um, emphasis on it. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, England need to be careful not to put too many demands on him because let's face it, within you know eighteen months maybe he may be the white ball captain as well. So there's an awful lot riding on Joss Butler's um, longevity, not just for not just for this coming run of um, of T uh, Twenty World Cups, but the ultimate World Cup in in India in four years' time. So you know. Uh, Let's be careful what we wish for, but in the short term, absolutely, I'm, I'm up for him being given a chance to be that man in the Test team. And also, I'm very pleased that, uh, given that um, Joe Denley had his injury and Johnny Bairstow got drafted into the squad, I'm very pleased that England haven't gone down that route of just shunting Bairstow straight back into the side because it would have been the most ineffectual kick up the arse that I've ever witnessed <laughs> in my life if that had happened. Um, instead, you know. Bairstow could be so many things to England's team if he if he if he can be persuaded that you know the the, the wicket keeping gloves are not the be all and end all for him he could you know we talk about the importance of a stable top three he could be the most solid man in that top three but it, but with with the ability to be explosive if if he knuckled down and really tried to be a batsman first and foremost um, who knows I, I I certainly you know we've all seen what happens when Bairstow has a has a bee in his bonnet and a, and a point to prove. He generally comes out and proves it. So um, I look forward to him, his glorious recall for the South Africa squad and um, him making some severe points in the warm-ups. Uh, but in the short term, yeah, I'm glad he's, he's not playing. Well, I'm sure he's a listener. And uh, there you go, that, the free advice from uh, Andrew Miller. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about England's struggles in New Zealand. Uh, they haven't won there um, since 2008. They haven't won a test there since that tour, the, the Andrew Strauss test, in fact, that you mentioned in, in Napier. Um 
drawn four of their last five. Um, and they're not, not playing a pink ball test this time, which obviously was their undoing in, in Auckland um, in 2018. Uh, in the hands of most Englishmen... I'm sure it got dark in time for them to be undone by, <laughs> by the lights. Uh... Well, no, maybe not the lights, but the ball. Um, and <laughs> which, whichever uh, shade it is, in the hands of most Englishmen, uh, the Kookaburra has proven harder to budge than Michel Barnier. Uh, but the bowlers on this tour have benefited from the experience of Darren Goff in his fast bowling consultancy. Well, indeed. I mean, um, a fascinating appointment that was. I mean, clearly it was a... Uh, a very handy stopgap to have you, you know uh, in his first tour Silverwood didn't want to make any big appointments for this tour he wanted to have time to think about it so he just thumbed thumb through his, his his contacts book and rang up his old mate Goffey and uh, you know more than willing to to oblige for a, for an 11 day stint uh, I mean what a what a useful man to to come and impart some some wisdom. I mean, I dare say he he he, he talked at length and uh, he, he'd have been full of full of his usual bravado but Ultimately, he's a great technician. Um, he, he, he manipulated the ball uh, with more skill than anyone up to James Anderson among English bowlers, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, he's a great man to have on board to, to help pass those pass that sort of wisdom along, especially with Anderson missing the tour. So, um, But it's an interesting one because, you know, whether or not he's lent them much wisdom, you're still going into this, this test with Sam Curran, who's last foray overseas uh, wasn't a great success for the ball because he simply didn't have the pace to to trouble West Indies batsmen on 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 benign wickets. Uh, you're going in with Joffre Archer, who's never bowled with a red kookaburra until the warm-ups, which, uh, again, it reminds you of the rapid rise that he's had, that, uh, you know, we expect so much so quickly of this guy, and he, and he bowled an absolutely lightning spell in the warm-up. Uh, but at the same time, he had a lot of hard yakker and a lot of variations coming out because the pitch was benign and uh, the flattest I think he'd ever bowled on, anything he said. So, again... Serious learning curves going on here, and um, you know Stuart Broad has got the wisdom of ages, but uh, you know he 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 can't uh, he he didn't have the best of times uh, on on his last foray down under a couple of seasons ago, albeit that he um, had technical issues that he's since had a chance to iron out in his wrist. So um, he'll hopefully manipulate that kookaburra with a bit more skill. But yeah, it's not easy. England have England have been found wanting uh, in in overseas conditions among their fast bowling in particular for an awfully long time now and uh, for all you're adding Josh Butler and the ability to bowl 95 into the mix you still got the balance of is it Chris Wokes or is it Josh Sam Butler's Curran? bowling at 90 now is he or Joffre Archer <laughs> yeah Joffre Archer same difference but you know well, maybe, well, Josh well, Butler he could do ex- anything ex- he put his mind, ex- ex- mind to you know what I mean it's, it, it, they've still got the, the Wokes versus Curran uh, debate and Wokes let's face it his record with the Cookborough isn't great Curran, unproven overseas. Um, for all the optimism, I think there's still holes in that lineup. Um, Goff mentioned, uh, or one of his sort of mantras is, is you've got to find a way. And, and it seems even if you can bowl at 95 miles an hour like Joffre Archer, um, you, you've got to find a way in, in, when it's flat. Uh, yeah, I, I think the other person that we've not mentioned yet who um, will sort of come to the fore in this. Well, we hope it comes to the fore, I suppose, from an England point of view, is Jack Leach, um, who will have an important holding ro- role throughout the series because I don't think either pitch is very likely to spin. Um, and realistically, he's not going to be a guy who's going to bowl a whole load of magic balls out of nowhere. 
Um, but if he can do what he did in the warm-up and just go at two, two and a half and over, hold down an end while um, the seamers are on rotation from the far end and Root can uh, use them wisely rather than you know throwing the ball to Joffre for eight overs and saying go play and you know cross his fingers then uh, that that will make a massive difference and from, from a sort of longer term point of view that could be a role that Leach could fulfill over the next you know couple of winters he could do the similar thing in South Africa um, and leading into that away ashes he might be the man to just tie down an end while the 90 mile an hour men that somehow might spring up and <laughs> in the meantime come through um, but yeah I think he, he was probably quite hard done by in terms of not getting a test central contract as well um, it sort of I think slipped under the radar but he only got an incremental one um, so I think it would be nice from his point of view to, to you know have a, a a decent performance on tour um, even if he's not going to be a match winner and just you know plug away yeah I mean it's, it's, a, it's a very fair point because it is the one one you know we talked a lot about England's inability to to get fast bowlers for overseas conditions but part of the problem uh, as Matt mentions is is the, the lack of a holding spinner I mean Moeen Ali's record overseas I mean his, his time in the ashes obviously last time around was grim and in the absence of him, they've turned to, you know, like Mason Crane, who is leg spinners are never going to be holding bowlers. You're not going to, you, the opportunity to have a, a spinner who you can rely on. This what, you know, throw back to when Ashley Giles was a, was a shoe in for England. He wasn't the best spinner in England, but he was the best, best crutch for the other bowlers and a guy you could rely on in pretty much any condition. So if they're going to have a guy and, you know, Leach again, a guy who's proven his metal, um, with, you know, his character throughout an, uh, an eventful England summer, um, yeah, it's, it, it all goes well. It's what he he feels like one important um, cog, one 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 guy that England probably didn't have a year ago, who they've now got. They can really um, sort of build a a, a, a tactic around. Um, and that holding role uh, could be uh, particularly important. Uh, Mount Monganui making its test debut. Uh, Matt, what what do we know about conditions there? What what do we think uh, is likely to be served up? England have played. Once there, an ODI uh, on that tour, uh, sort of 18 months ago, uh, which they won, but it um, wasn't particularly high scoring, and I don't think it offers us much of a clue as to how this test surface will play. Well, yeah, all, all the news, all, all the sort of um, the words coming out of New Zealand seem to be that they're expecting it to be quite a high scoring ground, maybe with a little bit of um, pace and carry at, at the start of the innings, especially. But um, sort of you know, judging by what was said um, in the warm-ups, it seemed as though the the, the grass on the pitch didn't really do a whole lot in uh in at Cobham Oval but um and and if anything just held it together and um meant there was no kind of disintegration as that game wore on um at, at, at Mount Monganui I think yeah we're expecting basically a high scoring game you mentioned the number of draws that England have had in New Zealand in the past I wouldn't be too surprised if there's another one uh, in this series at some point um and I think realistically New Zealand are going to come in with a similar-ish game plan, but possibly a better pace trio, and that they'll probably come with their their usual um, the usual lineup of Saudi Bolt and Wagner, um, who have played so many tests at home in the past four years, and all know their roles to a T. Um, plus a holding spinner, and then plus an all-rounder in the Grondam, who's obviously a different bowler to Stokes, but um, again very useful at tying an end up. Um, so I think New Zealand probably edge it in terms of their bowling attack. Um, maybe they don't have a Joffrey Archer, but I think that they um, they will be well placed to make use of conditions. Um, it's Bolt's one of Bolt's home grounds as well, um, so he should be pretty well equipped there. And 
uh, yeah, Kane Williamson has played a lot of cricket there as well. He's a, a, a son of the of the uh, of the region. Yeah, and Williamson, is a, as um, Archer said in his Daily Mail column, he's, he, he's worried that Williamson will be as much of a thorn in English flesh as uh, Steve Smith was. And I mean, if that was the if that's the case, <laughs> then, then end end all speculation now. It's, it's it, England haven't won another Test in New Zealand uh, again. <laughs> We're in for some long nights. Um, ben Stokes' role, uh, his back as vice captain, he's, he sort of returned to the spotlight, I guess. Here, missed the T20 leg uh, of the tour. Uh, amidst publicity around his new book, a few headlines out of that. But it, it was in it was in New Zealand uh, eighteen months ago uh, that what we might call the second phase of his international career began. Uh, you know, after the uh, the Bristol incident and missing the Ashes and so on, it was actually at Mount Monganui uh, in 2018. His half century in, in a run chase and sort of his first uh, significant contribution to the team back in the side again. Uh, he can make life for Root a whole lot easier on this tour if he, you know, reaches the peaks that we've uh, we've we've seen him touch in recent uh, times again. Yeah, and he he just looks so motivated these days, doesn't he? I mean, it was it was interesting. It was his his book. Um, there were various interesting anecdotes in the book. Not not least his uh, his his text to Tom Harrison saying that uh, he wanted the captaincy back, the vice captaincy back, which uh, you know coming from anyone else would would seem a little bit uh, pushy. But coming from Stokes, who was clearly a guy who who. Uh, relished being a, a guy or, on whom Root could lean. I think fundamentally he wanted to be that, he want, he, he needed the official vice-captaincy to just to give himself the, 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 the leg up to be Root's right-hand man rather than trying to be some sort of overarching, overshadowing figure in the dressing room. And he's, you know, by all accounts, he's, he's one of the most uh, generous with his, with his talent that you could imagine from from a guy so talented so you know ever since the bristol incident he's he's made the team absolutely first and foremost in everything he's done i mean you know again he talks about what would it have been like if he you know his his innings in the semi-final had been a, a glorious but in vain 70 or his or he got 110 and not 135 not out at, at headingly he, he said it would have mattered nothing it would, he'd have been utterly distraught it would have it would, you know you remember him not celebrating his century at headingly he, he was his eyes on the prize uh, and you know, you get a lot of sportsmen talking about, oh, it's, uh, this means nothing to me if, if, you know, I'd rather get a duck than, uh, than, 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 you know, lose, bloody blah. But from coming from Stokes, you actually believe it. Uh, and yeah, he's got a lot more to give, I think. And this is a very important, um, next step for him. Uh, you know, he didn't look like a guy who's even remotely finished this summer. Of all the guys who, who, you know, there was a lot of talk after the World Cup about burnout and the exhaustion and the expectation of taking England from one peak to the very next peak in the ashes. And, you know, the likes of Bairstow and Butler and, and even Root, um, guys like that were clearly struggling to, to, to stay on the, on the top of the peaks. Um, no such problems for Stokes. He was just bestriding them. And, uh, I think he, yeah, he's, he's still, he's still got an awful lot more to give, I reckon. Well, there we go. Keep an eye open. Um, moving on, let's bring a, a touch of Jeremy Corbyn to the pod. It's why not? It's question time, and some of our listeners have been in touch. Uh, keep your language, parliamentary chaps. Um, firstly, we have Jane Tyman. Listening to Ashley Giles chatting, it seems that the philosophy behind the management regarding test batting approach is to return to the importance of batting for time. This is music to my ears, at least, but what do you all think? And a similar uh, theme from 
Jobson Hobson, uh, I'm not <laughs> making these Richard. up, <laughs> uh, do England still seem comfortable swapping around their entire approach to, approach to test cricket every six months or so? Will we have a whole new way of playing in place by the start of the summer season in June? What do you think? Uh, is this one to, uh, they're going to stick with, uh, Matt? Well, to go with the second one first, I wonder what we'll see um, next time, well, in, in the two Sri Lanka tests in March. <laughs> Um, you know, if you think that was probably about as funky as England got um, in that particular period in and, history, and, and they won three 0 and they won three <laughs> 0 Um Ed Smith sort of espousing his genius and playing three spinners in Sri Lanka. Would you believe? Um, but yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I don't think it's necessarily a, a permanent thing. But I think um, when you think about the emphasis that's been placed on uh, winning those uh, the Ashes back uh, in twenty twenty one, twenty two, it's I think this is a similar sort of team to the one you'll probably see in that series. I don't think they'll necessarily stick with um, the exact same personnel. I mean, you know, there's a whole new conundrum when uh, Johnny Bairstow presumably comes back into the picture in South Africa because, again, you suddenly get the question of does, you know, does Root move to three? Does Stokes move to three? Uh, where does Bairstow come in? Does he bat in the top three? And again, we, we come back to all the same questions about uh, picking people in, in their usual positions versus making them fill in uh, and equally you know you think presumably there's a decent chance Moeen Ali will be back in the test reckoning come Sri Lanka what happens to him in the home summer is he suddenly an option again as uh, a number eight and you're trying to I don't know maybe you drop leech and try and blood a 90 mile an hour quick and then you know again we get into all these questions and I can't really see um, especially under under um, with Smith as selector I can't really see England sticking to this for three years and saying that's that drawing a line under it um, I can see them sort of trying to to push towards the idea of um, you know keeping a handful of players in the side who um, try and bat time and try and frustrate bowlers so I think Sibley and Burns both have a very good opportunity to, to nail a place down for the next three years but it, I'm sure we'll be having similar conversations within a year Can, can Silverwood resist Ed Smith tinkering? Well that, I mean it's, it's at this moment of the pod that Butch and I would usually digress into a squabble about total cricket but, <laughs> but you know I might as well have the squabble in his absence but the, I suppose the fundamental fundamental thing about what we learned from that Sri Lanka tour is that you know there is an importance of a squad mentality that you know it's no longer a, a game about 11 players or even 12 with if you throw an extra spinner you need to have 15 16 17 interchangeable players who can all slot in and do their role and you know i mean talk about sam curran as a guy who's 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 i think he's been dropped four times in 11 tests because he is this vitally useful guy in the right conditions who can bat at eights and and score match winning 50s and be a be a very useful swinging fourth seamer uh but there will be games when you don't see him at all and you know you've got to got to be able to suck it up sometimes when you're that type of player and accept that fine i i'm just not going to be the horse for this particular course so i think there is uh, there is an l- important lesson, an important legacy from that Sri Lanka tour is that, you know, there will be times in the coming months when England will need to play three spinners rather than just one and they will need to have an extra extra all-rounder to mitigate the, 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 the workload on, on the quicks and all the rest of it. And the more that England can find a way to embrace that without completely disrupting the the... The, the prevailing philosophy at the moment which is let's not screw it up and and rush through our batting and fall in a heap um they will emerge it m- emerge from it all the stronger with a with a broader base for their team and hopefully a more focused um, um 
Endgame as well. This is this is a further digression away from the question, but um, this uh, I think it's probably fair to say that this is the first time since probably the the, the sort of the the heady days of the flower era that there's been so little. Um, there's been so few questions about um, the the actual selection of the eleven for a test um, in the first game of a, a series. If you think about the fact that uh, the people who are going to miss out, Wokes was clearly in contention, but other than that, Zach Crawley, Matt Parkinson, and Saqib Mahmood, we've barely mentioned them in the build-up, and it's just seemed predetermined that uh, you know this was the twelve and. Here's probably the eleven with Curran over Wokes. I don't think I can remember England starting a series with such a seemingly uh, a planned team with one question mark of two players who are pretty much the same role um, for for a long, long time. I think you're probably yeah you're probably talking back to the to the I don't know India home series in 2011, something like that. It's ages ago now. There we go. Well, back to the post bag. Um, <laughs> Uh, Sai Shashank1010 says, What do you think about uh, Joe Denley's future? He isn't your traditional test batsman, but keeps going somehow. I think Matt rode him out of the side at some point in his uh, uh, theorising along the the way there. But um, yeah, Joe Denley. Yeah. Uh, harder to get rid of than uh, uh, your average cockroach after a nuclear holocaust. Yeah, I don't think anyone... <laughs> I don't think anyone um, particularly... That's quite a good attribute for a number three. Well, yeah, exactly. I meant it as a compliment. <laughs> I don't think anyone particularly thinks that Joe Denley is going to be in this side for another five years. Um, and, I've, you know, it, the guy averages, what, 27 in test cricket and has entirely, you know, he's, he's flattered to deceive and has always had that one innings that kind of just about keeps him clinging on. Um, I can see a, a very easily him having been dropped by the start of next summer um and i don't know i think um i think in an alternative timeline in which literally anyone other than ed smith was england's main selector i think you could well have uh seen joe denley continuing to be a freelance t20 player and not really ever making that international comeback um you know maybe he is the perfect stopgap in a way and maybe we we're we're too quick to write off stop gaps if you think of people like I don't know Australia have had a few over the years with people like um, Chris Rogers Adam Voges maybe I'm not suggesting that he's going to suddenly become a, a averaging 60 or anything like that but maybe he is just the guy that you need at number 3 for a couple of series I'll, I'll give you a stop gap and again it dates back to the last time England won out there uh, different role obviously Ryan Sidebottom uh, he was he was a guy who, um, and again, this this is this is assuming that in a few years' time we're looking back fondly on this transitional period and trying to identify the guys who've helped make it happen. And you know, you look at Ryan Sidebottom, his his Test career was pretty obviously quite long actually because he debuted in two thousand one, but his effectual Test career was pretty short and sharp. It basically bridged the decline of the two thousand five. Test team and the rise of the world-beating uh, 2010-11 Test team, and he, he basically filled the hole in between and you know, provided the the glue while while um, Hogger Hogg and Harmson were phased out, Anderson Broad were phased in, and the rest is history. So you know, ultimately, if if we look back and Joe Denley has been a guy who has just taken taken a hit where guys like you know you name any number of the adam lithes and 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 jason roys and alex hales is who've come and failed and and been swept aside without really making a mark if in a few years time we look back with anything resembling fondness on joe denley for you know at least bolting it out and and hanging in there even if it was clearly wasn't the the world beater england were looking for then you know we'll reappraise him but for the the moment he's he's not he's not he's clearly not the best 
number three that England will ever have. But is he the right number three for the moment? It's not. It's, it's possible he might be. Yeah, maybe we should generally just be a bit kinder on people like Denley. I, I, it's very. I suppose it's very easy to be critical of someone who we, you know, his ceiling is probably averaging thirty-five in his career, which seems very low. He's quite tough to watch because he gets beaten a lot outside his off stump all that sort of thing but at least they're not throwing in someone like Crawley or Joe Clark or Nick Gubbins as a real lamb to the slaughter who they really don't think is ready right now um, it, it would probably do a lot more damage to to a young player coming in before they're ready um, than it does to someone who's quite happy to have an international career um, pretty you know Denley seems pretty just chuffed about the fact he's playing for England at the moment as much as anything and uh, I don't you know I don't think he ever expected this late career flourish and uh, here he is so maybe we should just appraise him for what he is and that's a, yeah. a an, an okay cricketer <laughs> an okay cricketer well, he, he'll always have Headingley and we'll always have Headingley and Ben Stokes will always, always have Headingley um, thanks to that uh, gender setting half century uh, that <laughs> No one talks about, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're still pretty vital in the circumstances. Um, one last question from uh, at campaign slogans. How it's a bit of a departure this, but how disappointed was Miller after seeing Lynn reaching eighty-two off twenty-six? This is Chris Lynn um, after seven overs, only to end on ninety-one from thirty in this exciting new format called the T10. I, I, I've genuinely felt cheated, absolutely <laughs> cheated. I mean, you know, you, you, we've been waiting for a bit of Lynn sanity for months, years, even. It feels like feels like forever since he was any good, and then suddenly there he was, about to fly fly off to a, to a rapid hundred, and um, Adam Lyth got in the way and took up all the balls, but the mind. It's quite fun, you know. Short, short, sharp. It certainly beats watching repeats of um, of losing Ashes series on <laughs> on other channels when there's a bit of bit of cricket on the background. Happy days. I bet no one was expecting when they started listening to this pod to hear Adam Lyth take quite as much of a beating as he has, <laughs> <laughs> almost as much as Joe Denley. Right, we've been going for almost as long as a T10 innings, so let's do what the pros do: take our money and run. The first test between England and New Zealand gets going on Wednesday evening UK time and we'll be back for more soon. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Matt and to all of you for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. 